Welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast. For episode number 74, I am joined by Dr. Ray McClanahan, a natural podiatrist and leading advocate for letting feet be feet. Have you had shin splints or plantar pain or Achilles pain or your toes crooked? Do you have bunions? Do your toes overlap each other? Do you wear shoe orthotics to compensate for overpronation or arch pain? Just know this, almost certainly you have done this to yourself, but you can fix it. I have long wished my feet looked better when I went to the pool or to the beach, but I had no idea that my ugly feet were causing my body to have problems beyond mere vanity. By choosing fashionable pointy shoes instead of foot-shaped shoes, I have forced my feet to become twisted, painful, and to function poorly for my sports. The good news is the fix is cheap and relatively easy and almost certain to succeed if we are patient. Does that sound good? It does to me. All right, let's talk to Dr. McClanahan about how to fix our feet. Dr. Ray McClanahan, welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be with you. I appreciate you taking some time. I, but I tell you what, I've been waiting six months to get you on my show. Your name came up in a podcast I did with Annette Verpio about posture and the importance of posture on athletic performance and health. Uh, she mentioned your name, and I have been stalking you ever since and you know, listening to you on podcasts and reading articles that that you have written and I've even you know been on your site looking at your correct toes and sure that I needed to get a pair of those to try to straighten up my crooked toes but the first thing that went through my mind is that I got to get you on the show and so thank you for joining me I, I wonder I've got actually a million questions for you but can we start by you telling your great backstory of you know you as an athlete and how you became a podiatrist and how you came to this unusual perspective of preventing problems rather than just treating them. You bet. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity, Joe. I've always been an active uh, person ever since I was a little kid. I always loved to move and play sports. And I went to a private boarding high school in Alberta, Canada, and I got into a little bit of trouble and they actually yanked me out of sports. So I wasn't able to play hockey and basketball and so forth. So I, Bummer. I ended up taking, yeah, I ended up taking up running mostly just to kind of blow off steam and, so I was running the six mile loop in the wheat fields of Alberta every night. And I started actually enjoying it. And I got a Sony Walkman and I was listening to some nice music. But uh, shortly thereafter, Joe, I started encountering a series of injuries uh, from my early running. And you know, so I started reading the running magazines and I started like reading books and talking to coaches and so forth. Um, around that same time, I saw the movie Chariots of Fire. And I'm not oh. sure if you've seen that, but oh boy, I mean, that that movie just changed my focus in terms of, I realized when I watched that movie, I wanted to be a, a runner. I wanted to go to the Olympics. And so yeah. I started training even harder. And um, so I made a lot of mistakes early on. I had a lot of injuries. I started getting injured within the first year of running yeah. for making all the wrong mistakes, wrong kind of shoes, wrong kind of food. Didn't know anything about breathing or posture, any of that back then. But long story short, I went out to Liberty university on track and field scholarship and kept getting injured. And I, I was talking to one of the local coaches the other day who said it this way. I like it a lot. He said, I majored in the training room as a <laughs> runner in cross country. And I spent a lot of time there too, you know, um, chronically injured, getting a lot of cortisone shots, having surgeons, even in college, recommending operations for me that I'm glad I avoided. Yeah. Anyway, uh, fast forward, I got out of podiatry school. and I really got into road racing fairly heavily in Washington State, where I'm from. And I ran into this gentleman who I became close friends with who happened to be a podiatrist. And he asked me one day what I wanted to do with my life. And I said, I want to be a sports medicine doctor. And so he said, well, come visit my clinic. And so I spent a month in his clinic and it, he helped me get into podiatry school and seemed like a logical choice. And so I went out to Philadelphia and studied conventional podiatry for four years, came back to Portland, Oregon, learned surgery for two years. But I actually had bunions and hammer toes on both of my feet while I was operating on the same problem for my patients. Wow. A troubling component of the operation, Joe, is we literally cut a muscle off of the big toe during that operation. And after several hundred of those operations, I, I didn't want to have that on my own feet, even though probably most of my colleagues would suggest I should have that. At the same time, I read the work of Dr. William Rossi, who I talk about a lot. His work is on my website. If you haven't already encountered it, I'll encourage you to read it. Yeah. So in 1999, I was receiving Podiatry Management Magazine, and there was an article by Dr. Rossi called Why Shoes Make Normal Gait Impossible. And on the front of the article, it shows 
a woman standing there in her bare feet and how her posture is perfect. Her ankles are over her feet and her knees and hips, everything's lined up. It looks beautiful. And then they start putting healed footwear on that lady and watching her body column change. Mm. That's kind of struck me as a curiosity. I never really thought about how heels on our shoes would cause compensations elsewhere in our body. And I also would, would have considered myself a gait expert at the time I was watching runners run on the treadmill and making orthotics and so forth. So I thought, well, this is going to be a really interesting article. And so I read the article and um, it, it literally blew my mind so heavily, Joe, I had to change my practice philosophy overnight, which was a little bit of an existential crisis. But I turned off the treadmill the next day. I stopped operating on most people and I started teaching people what Dr. Rossi taught me. Wow. And what he taught me, I didn't learn in podiatry school. It's based on his observations of feet throughout the whole world. I lived in Liberia, West Africa when I was young. My friends didn't own shoes and we played soccer on gravel and they, they did fine. And I remember thinking back at that time, I couldn't even take my shoes off and stand on the gravel, much less run on the gravel. So I've been around the world too and I saw what Dr. Rossi saw. And then I contrasted that with all the things that were coming into my office and I had a huge light bulb moment where I thought to myself, maybe we can prevent some of this stuff from happening to begin with, which is really my passion for my career now and my passion for the time that we'll spend together. But I also began conceptualizing, reversing non-surgically some of the some of the clinical entities that I was trained to operate on, including my own foot. So when I uh read Dr. Rossi and I had my bunions, I started using single silicone splints to go between my toes. And my toes started changing a little bit, which something my podiatry colleagues said could never happen. Many of them to this day say can't happen. <laughs> and uh, anyway, the little single silicone splints kept moving around. So I, I put four of them together in a customizable package with a buddy of mine. And this is 20 years ago. And so we've, now we've got four sizes of them and we use them very effectively in terms of realigning people's feet. And once we realign people's feet, their muscles function better. Their feet send better information to their brain, their balance is better, and so forth and so on. So that was 20 years ago, and to this day, I would probably consider myself a natural podiatrist as opposed to a conventional podiatrist. And this is a distinction that your audience probably is going to want to think about. When I went to podiatry school, I didn't realize that there are branches of medicine that are trying to find the cause and branches of medicine that are trying to prevent problems. Podiatry is a form of an allopathic profession. So if your audience isn't familiar, that's basically your MD doctor who gives you a pill or gives you an injection to try to make your pain go away. But many times in podiatry, the causes of the foot problems were, were attributed to heredity, overuse, biomechanics, and sometimes those things are true problems for people's feet, but there was no mention in terms of how we change the natural anatomy of our foot shape very early in our life and how that contributes to the development of bunions and hammer toes and Achilles tendonitis and plantar, what we used to call plantar fasciitis, we now call it plantar fasciosis. Um, so I went from a, a surgical podiatrist who was working for an orthotics lab and super feet to a largely non-surgical natural podiatrist for the last 20 years. And it's been a really great ride, Joe, to see people get better without doing aggressive, invasive things, doing things to them that are not expensive, that are natural, and watch their, not just their feet, but as we touched on in the pre-show conversation, watching the rest of their body actually also benefit positively in ways that when we started this project, we had no awareness that it would that it would positively affect the other parts of the body, such as, believe it or not, we've had orthodontists and dentists contact us and tell us that when feet are aligned and healthy, then so are the teeth. We've had wow. people who do, yeah, people that do pelvic floor work tell us that when they're dealing with people with pelvic floor issues, they heal quicker when their feet arch muscles are strong chiropractors telling us that they're noticing things in people's shoulders and necks when their feet get healthy. So I'm no longer as surprised as I was, Joe, uh, because I hear these stories frequently, people telling me other body parts getting better. But I'm eager to share this because I think there are a lot of people suffering out in America needlessly dealing with things that may be very simple to to take care of in a natural in a natural method. Yeah, wow. You really tell that story well. I got to say that I'm probably just a normal person who, like other normal people, I don't really think about 
my feet all that much. You know, they're kind of hidden away in nicely designed packages that hold my feet and protect them from stepping on sharp rocks and things like that. And I, you know, and I, and it's just, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And if I've got a knee problem or a back problem, why would that come from my feet? And, and if my foot, my arch hurts, an arch support makes perfectly good sense. You know, if I broke my leg, I, I'd put it in a cast. But I guess the problem is, you know, when my bone healed, I'd get the cast off. That stinking arch support I've had in my shoe for like 30 years now. And so surely there's a consequence to that. I'm thinking that you're going to help us all a lot here. I heard you say a statistic. It's a stunning number. You said something like 87% of people will eventually have foot problems. Is it something? Is that right? Is that the right number? Yeah. Well, there's one statistic, um, and I sometimes botch it in, during the podcast, but there is a statistic out of the American Podiatric Medical Association where I think it's a survey statistic. So they interviewed a large group of people, and out of that large group of people, 75% had a foot problem. And that was at that time, 75% of them had a foot problem. I think that 87% number comes from in our lifetime. Yeah. I think 87% of us will have some kind of a foot problem. Yeah. Which it's fascinating to me, Joe, because when I talk to my other buddies in medicine and different specialties, very rarely is there another body part that so predictably breaks down in all of us 87% of the time. Oh, it's shocking. I was yeah. thinking like, why isn't this like a national emergency? There should yeah. be a presidential investigation and you know they should be putting trillions of dollars to solve it. But instead, you don't hear anything about it. Why is that? Yeah. Well, I, I don't think we hear what we need to hear about it. We do hear, um, you know, go to the podiatrist at the first, you know, mention of foot pain, go to the podiatrist. But the problem is, in my opinion, and I don't mean to badmouth my profession, I still have some very dear friends in the profession, but I'm not surprised that as many people have operations or as many people are told to wear orthotics for the rest of their life, as opposed to getting to the root causes of the problem. So I think I think that's part of it. I think it's a treatment-based approach as opposed to a prevention-based approach. There's also a lot of money to be made in these interventions. And again, I don't want to throw stones. It's a reality. We do have to make money and an income to keep our businesses open. Yeah. I'll give you one example, Joe. I was at a sports seminar not long ago. We're talking with one of my colleagues, one of my sports medicine colleagues, and he said, you know, Ray, I, I, I like the correct toes. I use them in the practice. The patients benefit from them. But when I sell a pair, I get $32. When I make a pair of orthotics and I bill it to Blue Cross Blue Shield, I make $1,000. So he, he literally said to me, the economic reality keeps him from recommending prevention and conservation over long-term immobilizing treatment. So there's that piece there. There's also kind of a weird thing in medicine, well, there's two weird things. There's a hierarchy, I'll call it, where there's sort of this impression that you're learning the right stuff from your elders and your pre your predecessors, and you're just going to follow that because they are, they've blazed the trail ahead of you and they've already established the standard of care. And that's the second part of the problem is this idea that we all need to agree on a standard of care and that it's rigid and that it never changes. But the the irony of that, Joe, is the standard of care in medicine always changes. There's nothing that we were doing 300 years ago that we're still doing today, you know? Right, right. So it's always changing, and I think we should probably stay humble about it. So there's there's the training methodology, there's the hierarchy, there's the boatloads of money to be made with the orthotics and the surgery. And then you could also layer in some ego, I think, too. You know, there's people that are very, very rigid in their belief system and their biases and they're just they just want to argue they're not open to learning anything new well shoot i guess we could go on all day about the whys and how crazy it all is but let's let's start to share some information that'll help this audience some people maybe are already getting maybe the, you know they've they've been doing the wrong thing or had genetic issues or had injuries or whatever and they've they already know that they've got a problem and they're dealing with it you know the best that they can i'm in this other camp of people who occasionally I'm, I've got an issue. My arch will hurt a little bit. I've had plantar, what used to be called fasciitis, you know, and, and I was stretching it for a while until I found that that's totally the wrong thing to do. And, uh, you know, I've had Achilles pain for a little while and I totally overpronate and I wear orthotics for that, you know, especially in my, uh, I'm not a runner, but in my cycling shoes to avoid losing power when I'm pressing on the pedal and my foot is collapsing. Anyway, so 
let's talk a little bit about how do people know that they've got this issue? And, and the answer is probably, well, if you've been wearing normal shoes for your whole life, then you've got this problem. But maybe you can talk a little bit about things that you might notice in your feet uh, and how they look or how they function, and maybe even some things that you might find elsewhere in your body that often are related to the feet. And then we'll move from there into this business of, well, what can they do? How can they stop these problems from getting worse? And what can they do maybe to reverse it? You bet. So if, if, if you're a new patient in our clinic, the very first thing that we show people is my daughter's baby footprints when they were born. Cool. And it's super surprising to most of the people that I meet with that that's not just a baby foot shape. That's our natural default human anatomy foot shape. So I show my daughter's footprints. I show my baby shoe, which happens to be still shaped like a baby foot, widest at the tips of the toes. And then we begin talking about this metal measuring device that I know you've seen at the store called the Brannock device. Oh, yeah. Came out in 1927 in Syracuse, New York. And I mostly treat an athletic and active population, Joe, probably like your audience members. So I'm careful to explain to them that that metal measuring device is for fashion footwear. So if you're riding your bike, if you're going to run or you're going to hike or you're going to be active, there's a better way of me measuring your feet. And we'll get into that in a moment. But your question was, how do you begin to know when you might have a problem? The very first sign that you might know is, is, is your toes starting to go out of alignment. But the problem with this is, Joe, we've got um, a quarter of all the body's bones in our feet. We've got 33 joints in our feet. So they're capable of, of a lot of what I call compensation meaning you can lift the back of the heel for quite a while and not break down. You can lift, you can pinch your toes together for quite a while and still ride your bike really fast. I pinched my toes together and ran some fast running races, although it caused a lot of pain. So first thing you want to look for is, are your toes moving out of alignment? Now, my toes actually got to the point where my second toe started going up on top of my big toe. So if you see any of that kind of stuff, that's certainly an indication that something's wrong. The other thing that's fascinating, Joe, is that people are somehow conditioned to believe, maybe because we all have foot pain, that foot pain is normal. But I, I could tell you without reservation after 27 years, half of which I did experience a lot of pain myself and took care of people in chronic pain versus these last few years, I'm not in pain and I'm older now and I'm, I'm exercising daily. Um, it's a much better way of looking looking at the body. So if the foot goes out of alignment, if you start having problems, if you start noticing buildup of callus or blisters in certain areas, if your toenails start to become ingrown, if you start to get rashes on your skin, color changes in between your toes, any of that kind of stuff is probably something that you might want to have looked at. But I think the fascinating thing about my work, though, is that our bodies will deal with the abuse for so long I had a lady this morning, as a matter of fact, she's gone 47 years of her life functioning at a very high level and one of her feet just all of a sudden won't let her even walk. Like most active people, she'll ask me, well, why, why is this happening to me? I didn't hurt my foot, I didn't sprain my ankle, I don't have a disease, I just can't walk on my foot anymore. And I, I liken it to an analogy that I heard one time that I really like called the bathtub analogy water going into the tub being insults that we do to our body like bad food not enough sleep overtraining, bad footwear and on and on and the presenter talked about how too many bad in inputs in your bathtub is going to flow over and that's kind of the way i look at the damage we do to our feet we change the shape early on I even in infancy we try to start changing the shape but you know what it doesn't hurt people so we don't know that it's a problem my typical patient's going to be a fourth or fifth decade female who's worn shoes based on the metal measuring device her whole life, been active, and all of a sudden, one side of her body won't function properly. And so we begin the process of describing the fact that she's compensated very well for bad positions and bad posture and bad food and on and on. And then we start the reversal process, getting her into good shoes, teaching her posture, teaching her core stability, breathing, nutrition, and so forth. You brought up a great point earlier on that that made me think of a story that you might appreciate and your audience might appreciate. My running coach rides his bicycle the number of years that he is every every birthday. So on his 50th birthday, we went out to the beach and we rode 50 miles. Nice. And uh, 
we always started a coffee shop in Manzanita, Oregon, and we'd grab our coffee and we'd visit a little bit and then we'd go for a ride. Well, a new guy that I'd never met came out of the coffee shop and I'm standing there with my coffee and I didn't know him. And he just starts talking about how he's not looking forward to the ride because at about mile 20, his feet are going to just start bothering him and then they're going to go numb and he's not going to enjoy the ride. And he didn't even know I was a podiatrist. He just started <laughs> listing all of the things that he had done. He got bike fitted twice. He had an MRI of his spine. He's changed his saddle. He changed his handlebars. He went to physical therapy. And to your earlier point, Joe, he didn't even think about his feet or his footwear being a cause for his foot pain. Huh. I asked him if he would take one of his shoes off, which he did. And most cycling shoes, you'll know, have a removable liner, a sock liner in there. Yeah. So I had him put his foot on the sock liner and his Italian racing cycling shoes were about three quarters of an inch narrower than his foot. Oh, boy. So I said to him, I said, you need cycling footwear that fits you and these problems will go away. And subsequently they did. So you make a good point, Joe, that we really cover up our foot. We don't think about it. Our feet become the shape of our shoes, which we also don't really give proper attention to because we all do it. So we look at each other and we're like, oh, that foot looks like my foot. It's widest at the ball. What's the problem? You know, until you start to hear people breaking down like I talk about every day in my work. So if you notice any of those things, um, I wouldn't necessarily say go to a podiatrist, which I might have said 25 years ago, simply because I'm in general disagreement with what most people are offered at conventional podiatry these days. There yeah. is the long-term reliance on orthotics, arch supports, and footbeds, which, quite frankly, I hang out with a lot of the other medical specialties, and it kind of makes me cringe when they make fun of podiatry for permanent immobilization because no, they don't do that for their neck patients or for their, you know, for their back patients. Right. Um, it's a, it's, it's true. And to your earlier point too, it does make sense if your arch hurts. There's nothing wrong with putting a support in there until it stops hurting, you know, and then get it strong and get the support out. So, um, yeah, yeah. Our, uh, put up with a lot of abuse. We don't get taught how to prevent problems at an early age. We compensate for a long, long time. But the cool thing is. Um, most of it can be reversed. There's very few people, including probably most people in your audience, who can't still benefit themselves with this approach. The only downside would be if somebody in your audience had let their bunion go on for too long or let their hammer toe go on for too long to where the bones actually become our bones and joints become arthritic and rigid. Okay then they, th those folks are going to benefit from conventional podiatry. But if people can see their way clear to understanding that most of the shoes in their closet aren't for athletics, even, well, they're not for natural feet, even if they're made for athletics. And we should probably go into a couple of those details, Joe, if that's cool with you. Yeah, yeah, please. So most athletic shoes, even running shoes will have a higher heel. So the back part of the shoe will be higher than the front part. Uh -huh. Studies on my website that we've looked at show that you will shorten your calf muscles if you wear shoes with higher heels. So somebody in your audience is going to say to us that they're always stretching their calves because their calves are tight. Right. And when I used to wear running shoes with higher heels, my calves were always tight. So you don't want elevated heels on any of your shoes. And you made a brilliant point also earlier, Joe, which is, it's the other 18 hours out of the day. So we'll talk about athletic shoes, but if people really want to make the most out of their body and get better quickest, they're going to want to take this advice that we talk about today, not just into their athletic and active footwear. They'll want to bring it into their day-to-day -day social dress comfort footwear as well. Uh -huh. um, so an elevated heel is a no-no. It's a fashion feature. There's no physiologic benefit. There's a feature a lot of shoes have called toe spring where the ball of the foot is the part that sits on the ground and the toe box goes up in the air from there. Huh. Since we don't look at our feet, we just kind of tuck them into that protective device that you talked about. We also don't think about why are our toes up in the air when we're riding our bike and when we're running and when we're hiking. That's not the way our foot positions itself when we stand in our bare foot. So the toe spring will shorten the muscles on the front of our calf. And those are known as our extensor muscles. So the heel in the back shortens the calf muscles in the back, the gastrocnemius and the soleus. The toe spring shortens the three muscles on the front. And 
The only other muscle group is our arch muscles, and there's 24 of them. They're in four layers. And when the muscles on the front are short and pulling the toes up and the muscles on the back are short and pulling the heel bone up, the muscles in our arch get long and weak. And this is what we're learning to be a primary cause for plantar fasciosis. So uh-huh. we used to think people with plantar fasciitis had inflammation in their plantar fascia until one of my medical school professors opened up 50 of his patients and took out their plantar fascia and studied it under the microscope. And nobody had any inflammation. They all had dead tissue. Uh-huh. These are males, females, old people, young people, active, inactive. So we've begun calling it either plantar fasciopathy or plantar fasciosis. So since there's no inflammation, we're no longer uh, using the itis. Why is the flesh dead? This is where we're gonna go into the third feature of why a tapering toe box on a shoe is so detrimental. So for your audience members, tapering toe box means that it's widest at the ball and gets narrower out towards the toes. Uh Meaning that even if you get a wide width shoe, your foot is still gonna be widest at the ball and progressively narrower out to the toes. Again, this is just for fashion. So if you're, you told me that your folks are active folks and they're athletes, and I'm sure they're concerned with looking good when they go out socially, but if they really wanna be healthiest in their active body, they are going to want to start avoiding these things slowly and gradually in certainly their active footwear, but in their day-to-day footwear as well. But getting back to your question, Joe, when, and this just got proven three years ago and published in the Journal of Foot and Ankle Research, one of my friends was involved in the study. Um, I'm really impressed with the study because they took a whole bunch of people and they took their big toe and they pushed it over uh, up against their second toe. Uh And then they measured the blood flow coming into the back of the arch. So our artery coming into the back of our foot is called our tibialis posterior artery. But it has to go under a muscle in our arch that goes out to our big toe. So when these researchers purposefully push the big toe over towards the second toe, exactly what a tapered toe box shoe does, it cut off 22.4% blood flow to the base of the heel where people that get plantar fascial pain. Yeah, that's where I felt it. Yeah, so, so you're, you're saying that it's not getting enough blood flow and that's why it's dying. Correct, and not only just not getting enough blood flow in, Joe, you're not also able to flush dead tissue out through your veins. Mm. So that tissue gets strangulated. The rest of your foot doesn't die because you have two other arteries. You've got one on the top of your foot and one on the outside of your ankle. So it's not like you're a smoker or a diabetic person who your foot's going to die and get gangrene. It's a localized area that that muscle just doesn't nourish because it's strangulating. And it doesn't kill your foot, like I mentioned. But after enough time, you'll get that. And think about it. People don't change the cause so it doesn't get better. You know, they, the next morning they get up and hobble around till the blood flow comes in, then they put their pointed toe chew on. And so they continue the deforming force every day and worse yet, go to conventional podiatry and be told to do all the wrong things like stretch the toes back towards the knee, mm-hmm. which is the yeah. wrong thing to do because we're already spending all of our day like that anyway because of the toe spring and the heel. We also don't stretch any other ligament in the body. I mean, ligaments hold bones to bones. So it's another podiatry idea that doesn't make sense to stretch a ligament. So we get that localized chunk of dead tissue that isn't going to go anywhere until we get the blood there. So this is things like heating, especially getting the big toe back out where it belongs. And when we do this, we generally don't treat people with anything. We might tape them. We don't do anti-inflammatories. We don't ice. We don't immobilize them. Sometimes if the pain is bad, we might inject them. But most of these people are on their way to getting completely better in five to six weeks just by getting the blood there. So they've been using their foot in a harmful way for 50 years, and in four or five weeks, they're getting better? And it surprises them so much that... They tell their family members, we we got interviewed. Back when we started having these results, we got interviewed by a lot of the big magazines because people were telling these stories about spreading your toes and stretching your foot the other way. And, and back then, we only had Crocs and Birkenstocks. Now we've got all kinds of healthy shoes for a lot of activities. Uh-huh. So it seemed really unusual, and people didn't really understand what it was all about and what we were trying to do. What we were trying to do is realign the foot, which... 
It might sound really crazy to your audience, as it usually does to my patient, but most adult Americans don't really understand what their feet is supposed to do or how their feet are supposed to feel. Uh, so yeah. they're undergoing pronation, which they blame on their foot. They're getting these problems, which they blame on their foot, which largely can be attributed to footwear. And, and this is kind of the fun part of our work. As I shared, I would, we don't really do much to people. We just get them to change their shoes, get out of their orthotics, get stronger, and they get better. And uh, it's, it's, really, it's really gratifying work. Yeah, I can only imagine. Plus, you learn to fix yourself. Uh, how are you doing? That's probably the biggest part for me, Joe. Um, I still exercise every day. And um, one of the things that puzzles me is every time I go to the sports podiatry meeting, another one of my colleagues is getting his knee replaced and he can't run anymore. And just heard of another tennis player, a friend of mine is going to get a, his hip replaced. And I am positive with all of my heart, Joe, that there is a one-to-one relationship with some of these injuries and some of the sponsored footwear that the podiatry community accepts large amounts of money to push the agenda of those companies, which again is fashion. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it could be troubling. I can remember a few years ago, you know, these uh, five-fingered shoes came out and this minimalist footwear was a thing, you know, and I, and I would encounter these people, you know, I'd be out on the trail in my boots and I'd encounter some dude in a, you know, no cushion, vibrant shoe. And, um, I'd ask him how it's going and he'd be like, Oh, they're great. And then with a little more questioning, I'd say, doesn't it hurt when you like step on a rock and he, and they all inevitably would say, Oh yeah, it hurts like hell. So is there like a, a progression that people have to go through? People have, their feet are untrained. They've been protected in these shoes. And is there like a progression to move from these hard shells that ha- have made our feet soft and useless and maybe damaged to then doing more natural things? I mean, could you just like go, you couldn't just go right out and run a marathon barefoot, right? People do, Joe, and it's a really stupid thing to do. Um, Yeah, you're absolutely right. In fact, I'm really grateful that you bring that up because of all of the things that we're going to talk about today, that quite likely is the most important feature of this whole transition to whatever you want to call them. I like the term functional footwear. I also like the term natural footwear. I don't like the term minimal footwear because there's a lot of minimal shoes that are still pointed. So, you know, so they're still unhealthy, even though they might be minimal. People are also calling them a barefoot shoe, which I don't really like that term either. My friend Nick said that's kind of like saying you're wearing a shirt, shirtless shirt. Um, <laughs> so, but essentially, yeah, you're absolutely right, Joe. And I hope your audience that decides to do this takes this part really seriously. A book came out called Born to Run. I don't know if you heard of that book where a bunch of Americans went down to the Copper Canyons of Mexico because those folks from Mexico are coming up here wearing a sandal made out of tire rubber and winning the 100-mile race, middle-aged people. And so they went down there and they tried to figure out, are these people eating some superfood? Are they doing performance-enhancing drugs? Do they eat some kind of like supplement that's giving them some special power? No, they have healthy feet and, by extension, super healthy bodies and posture and their running mechanics are just pristine. There's a, there's a picture in my clinic where I show my friend, Scott Jurek, who's our, one of our best hundred mile runners from the United States is running alongside of our NOFO down in Mexico. Scott's got a pair of ASICs on his gait patterns, totally different than our NOFO is just trotting along lightly landing on the front of his foot in a homemade shoe. So that was the takeaway. It had an irrefutable story of healing, but the problem was in our American culture, we want it now. We want instant gratification. Something feels good. More of it's got to be better, right? So about that time, people either started going completely barefoot, which, by the way, is one of the very best things you could do for your foot if you do it in a controlled fashion. They also started going to the Vibram Five Finger Shoe, but nobody taught them that the human body has kind of a magic window of somewhere between 10 and 20% adaptation it can do week per week. And once we start going beyond that with our footwear, with our mileage, with our bike riding or swimming, whatever, even healthy people will start to break down. So the problem with 
Vibram or Born to Run or any of these kind of shoes is not the, the message or the product. The problem is the lack of awareness to the brilliant point you just made, which is the skin of our feet are weak, our muscles are weak, our nervous system doesn't really know what to do with full impact or with full sensation because we always blunt it. So our feet essentially don't really know what to do unaided. But the cool thing is, once we get them to the point where they're strong and the skin is strong and the nervous system is highly tuned, nobody wants to go back to their big, heavy shoes. Nobody wants their orthotics again. The dress shoes hurt way more than they used to hurt. So these are things that are universal things, which it's kind of cool to observe. So when the, Vi when the Vibram shoes came out, I went and bought a pair, but I bought them size too small, which is common for people to do. I also wore running shoes that held my heel up and my toes up for so long that the tendons on the top of my toes, which we talked about a moment ago, got tight. So that's the beginning of a hammer toe, toes starting to come up, which pulls the fat out from under the ball of the foot up in under the toes where you're not running on it or you're not standing on it. Oh. So I bought them too small. My fat pad wasn't under my ball of my foot. So I did get a little bit hurt with my first pair. I bought a new pair. I went slower the next time. I used a metatarsal pad in there. They're now one of my favorite shoes. I can run a marathon in them if I wanted to. I've run 30 miles in shoes like that after a long period of strengthening. So it's not just our muscles and our nervous system that have to be strengthened. Our skin needs to get a bit stronger too. So the problem was that shoe company got sued by a lady out in Boston. She filed a class action lawsuit because she didn't properly transition her body and made the claim that the shoe company did not abide by the claims that they made. However, subsequent to that lawsuit, there's nothing less than probably 10 to 12 studies MRI or ultrasound confirmed that the company's prediction that the arches would get stronger was absolutely true. Hmm. I see it here in my clinic. We start transitioning people slowly. And Joe, this might take a year or more. You know, so if people think this lifestyle change is something that's going to happen in a week or two, it, they probably won't succeed. And a lot of people will try it for a short period and something hurts or they get sore or worse yet a medical provider that doesn't understand this tells them that this is harmful for them which happens a lot for instance they took a very small group of people out of their big huge brooks running shoes and over the course of eight weeks immediately transitioned them to vibram five fingers and did an mri of their metatarsal bones eight weeks later and noticed that some of the metatarsal bones had bone marrow edema so for your audience, that's you're starting to get a little bit of fluid inside of the bone. And that's mm -hmm. usually a predictor that the next step is going to be a stress reaction and then a stress fracture. Mm -hmm. However, to this part of the conversation, to try to make a dramatic change like that in eight weeks was foolish. That would be like any one of us during the call today going to the gym and trying to bench press our heaviest bench in a week, or like you said, try to go run a marathon barefoot without ever training, uh, it will hurt you and you'll break down. And unfortunately, when people have those experiences, they, they abandoned it. It grieved me. One of my older folks did really, really well with this. Uh, she took her time, slowly changed her shoes, spread her toes, did the rehab, slowly increased her walking activity, got completely better, told her friend about it, and her friend tried it for a little while and had some difficulty and decided to stop. And the way she described her friend to me kind of made me sad because she said, my friend didn't make it. And I wanted to tell her that must mean that something wasn't done properly because this is for everybody. You know, even if people need a surgery, even if people do need a treatment, this is still for everybody. This is our natural default state. So yeah. when you're not when you don't make it, it means that something wasn't done properly. And the transition period probably is the most common thing that's not done properly, followed by trying to do some of this in footwear that's not healthy is another common one. That's really good. I'm glad we talked about that in some depth. Let's start to summarize here, and then we can transition out to how people can find you. Can you, again, kind of summarize the kind of 
features of healthy shoe wear and then talk about exercises that people can do with their feet to help them you know regain some control over their toes over the muscles to take better faster advantage of these better shoes that they would be wearing happy to joe yeah so i think the first step would be to um well, if you have infants in your home or if you have babies in your home, look at that foot shape. If you're our audience today being at older active people, probably going to have to pull out the birth certificate from years ago just to confirm that that's, that's the shape we should be seeking. Uh, when I first started teaching this, a lot of people pushed back and said, no, I'm pretty sure I was born with this problem. <laughs> and so I would always say, well, go ask your mom for your birth certificate, you know. And I've only ever had one person in 27 years of practice actually did have a little bit of a crooked toe at birth. The rest of us have a characteristic shape. So for your audience, I would say familiarize yourself with that shape. Um, and since most folks in this audience listening probably don't have that shape, I would say look at a baby, look at a culture throughout the world that maybe doesn't go with shoes. Like the, the, old, the grandparents in Africa had a baby shaped foot because they didn't wear any shoes. So um, that's the first concept to wrap the brain around. Second concept is to stand on your bare feet and make note of the fact that your heel bone is always gonna be completely level with all of the toe bones. So if you conceptualize that position and then think about what that would look like if we spread the toes and then start looking for shoes that are shaped like that. Now, I've got a super cool trick for your audience, Joe, that I love showing people because it kind of, it really makes the shoe buying process super simple. We've already established that we don't want to stand on the metal measuring device unless we're going to buy something that we're going to look good in. And wear for a very short time. Correct. Yeah. But as far as our active footwear, most active footwear has a removable piece called a sock liner or an insole. This is going to be a fun thing for your audience members. When we get off the call today, I'll encourage all of you to pull your shoes out of your closet and start pulling that sock liner out of your shoes and standing on it. We photograph all of our patients in our clinic and have been for probably 12 years. We're going to publish this. Probably 10% of our people, when they stand on their sock liner, their whole foot is on their sock liner. Probably most of our audience, Joe, is going to go in the closet after we talk and stand on their sock liner and have an eye-opening experience. You mean when the, when the foot is is covering it, you mean the foot is bigger than the sock liner? Correct, which means since the sock liner is the shape of the upper, the shoe is gonna deform the foot. And once you see how you're wider than the sock liner, then it becomes much, much easier for people to wrap their brain around why their toes are getting crooked as opposed to believing it runs in their family or they've got some weird biomechanics, because most people don't. Um, the thing that runs in most people's families is a set of feet that are bigger than most of the shoes that are available for most of their lives. So the sock liner test um, is probably the most important thing that we can get people to start looking at and thinking about, because if you start choosing your footwear based on that, you're going to be able to choose shoes that will actually be shaped like your natural foot. And if you want to go one step further, I don't want to sound salesy, Joe, I'm not a big pusher of my product, but I would say to wear a toe separator before you do that shoe test will teach you what your true foot shape should be. If you put a toe separator on, you stand on that sock liner, you're going to try new shoes until you find one that your whole foot's on that sock liner. And then you know that the upper part of the shoe isn't going to do anything bad to your foot. If one or two millimeters of your foot goes beyond the sock liner, then just leave the sock liner out of the shoe. It's just foam. And it takes up volume, doesn't do anything favorable. In fact, it separates us a little bit from feeling the ground and it also adds a little bit more weight. So leave that out after you've used it as your fitting guide. And then once you've got that shoe, embark upon that slow, purposeful break-in transition period. And usually the way we have people do that would be just start going barefoot in your home a little bit. It's surprising how many people wear their shoes in their home. Um, so just the act of going barefoot in your home, then maybe you folks in the audience might do it for two to three minutes tonight. Um, and the goal is to start adding a little bit more as time goes by. That's the very best thing anybody could teach anybody to do is just start getting a little bit more comfortable in your bare feet. And then when you can't be in your true bare feet, find some shoes that are shaped like bare feet 
and then start slowly engaging them, maybe five minutes the first day, you know, uh, 10 minutes the next day, unless your feet start hurting. If your feet start hurting at 10 minutes, scale it back to seven minutes. So just really pay attention to your body. I've not yet met a person who can't get through this if they take their time and are purposeful and don't try to force it. But I've seen an equal number of people that don't realize that by the time you do too much, you you're beyond how much you should have done, you know, and it's not just your muscles, it's your skin, it's your, it's your balance system and nervous system. So a little bit more barefoot, a little bit more in, in natural functional shoes, listening to your body all the time. If that goes well and your audience doesn't start suffering from any soreness or blisters or any kind of new entities, quite frankly, Joe, they don't even need to do any special exercises. I will go into detail and I've got videos on the website. I've got a whole 20 minute lecture I gave to the sports podiatrist called Shape of Strength. It's on the website where I actually show my own foot doing these exercises. But here's maybe one of the more exciting things I can share with you and your audience, Joe, is that the many studies that have been done on this process show that even if you never touched your feet at all, if you just started slowly wearing these kinds of shoes and going barefoot a little bit more often, somewhere variably between six months and a year, the arch muscles that we talked about are going to get eight to 10% bigger in almost everybody that does this. So that's a lot. I mean, that's an awful lot when you compare people might be able to get out of their orthotics if their arches get that much stronger. And then they're not only not carrying around weight, they're not weakening their feet, and they're not spending boatloads of money on expensive orthotics. So just starting this process and going slowly is going to render wonderful results over time. But I do meet motivated people. My athletes are very motivated um, to get better quicker and to like make all the gains that they can make. And so the two exercises that are getting a lot of attention, if you look at the medical literature, are uh, what are called short foot exercises, also known as doming or janda, named after the guy that, that established these. Rather than trying to show you uh, over the Zoom call here, Joe, I would maybe draw your audience's attention to either the video on the website. Essentially what it is, is it's you're lifting your arch naturally by keeping your heel level with all of your toes spread out. And then treating your foot as almost if it's a hand, you're going to try to make a fist against the ground. And if you do this properly and you've got flexibility in your toes, which maybe some of our athletes might not, and they might want to do the toe extensor stretch, which is also in a short little video. In other words, if the tendons on the top of your foot are too tight and you can't flex your arch, you're not going to be able to do that exercise. Um, but the short foot exercise basically teaches the muscles in the bottom of your feet to lift your own arch. And as you do this more and more, you'll actually start to see the arch muscles develop in hypertrophy, just like if you started doing barbell curls and your, your biceps are going to get bigger. It happens to everybody. If you take your time, no need to have any pain with it. So yeah, I would encourage your audience members to, to look at the short foot exercise. The other one that's getting a lot of attention is called toe spreading. So basically, you're grounding either your big toe against the ground or your pinky toe against the ground, and you're rotating the rest of your toes away. And early on, most people can't really do a lot with their toes because they never do. But as you start doing this stuff, 100% of people start noticing, hey, I, I can move my big toe now, or maybe my pinky toe is starting to come out from under my fifth, my fifth, my fourth toe. Um, <laughs> So it's gratifying. It's slow, though. That's the that's the problem. It's like it's not like getting a shot and your pain's gone by the next day, you know. But it's something you can do while you're sitting at your desk, maybe. And you could just like do it every time you think about it and you'll get better. That's the key, Joe. If if your audience members can couple it with something else they do every day. So I ride the elevator in my building a lot. And so I'm always doing these in my brief wait in front of the elevator. And it's super cool to see just that little bit of time I've generated over how many years. It's like, it's really made a big difference for me. Well, great, Ray. Tell our audience how they can find more information about you, Correct Toes, the articles you've written, these videos. Yeah, thank you, Joe. We've got two websites. We've got a clinical website, 
uh, northwestfootandankle.com. I also have two associate doctors for folks in the audience who might want to do a remote visit, talk through some of this. So that's available too. Our, our Correct Toes website is www.correcttoes.com. And that's more of the process of spreading the toes and what that's going to do f- for us. We have a shoe list on the website for the audience members who might want to find out what brands are good. We've got a shoe store in our clinic. Uh, if folks listening might happen to be in our neighborhood or our area, uh, we have a blog on, on the website. There are also a couple of other groups that the folks who are interested in this can join up and, and find us. We started what's called the Healthy Feet Alliance for like-minded folks who are medical providers. Maybe some of us have shoe companies. Some of us have medical good products companies. And we're all basically banding together to teach this as opposed to us all being kind of like individual people in our own one geographical area trying to teach a large number of people. So we're having a good success with that. Your audience members can join our Facebook group. If you're on Facebook, we're called the Healthy Feet Community. We talk a lot about this. We talk about products that are helpful. We talk about strengthening. Um, And then I also recently founded a group with a a group of international podiatrists called uh, Natural Podiatry Group. Um, So we're basically trying to get podiatry to start embracing this so those would be places. And then if you're in Portland, Oregon, definitely come on by. You don't need an appointment if you want to come by and just meet with one of us, learn about shoes, learn about the value of spreading your toes and getting your feet strong. Fantastic. Well, Ray, thank you very much. This has been educational for me. Even though I've been reading and listening, uh, I still learned some things here today. And I, hopefully the audience has benefited as much as I have. Thank you, Joe. Great. You have a great night. You too. Thank you so much for listening in to my discussion about fixing our feet with Dr. Ray McClanahan. And thanks to Ray for helping us out. You can find more information about Dr. McClanahan and Correct Toes in the show notes. And while you're there, you can sign up to take a free fitnesses practices assessment, send us a question to address in the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your friends. That'd be a great help. Thanks again.